Welcome once again into the Radiopedia Reading Room, a podcast unconcerned with books or poetry, tea leaves or palmistry. It is but a humble radiology podcast. My name is Andrew Dixon, and joining me, fifth times a charm, is my co-host, Frank Gaylard. Five episodes already. It's hard to believe. I didn't think we'd make it past three, to tell you the truth. It's been fantastic to have you on the journey with me, Frank. (laughs) I'm actually thinking instead of five, we might switch it up to Roman numerals. What do you reckon? Episode V. Like Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) I watched watched this big sporting event in America earlier in the week. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. It's called the Super Bowl or something? Yeah, golf. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Maybe I think it was um, lacrosse or something. And they use Roman numerals. So it was like Super Bowl LVII, which just <laughs> sounds cool. Actually, I do have a Super Bowl story that I can share with you later in the episode, Frank, if we're struggling for things to chat about. So today, Frank, is our first ever hostful episode. That's the term we're going with. That's a great term. So each week, it seems like we bang on more, more and more. And so I thought perhaps it would be good to have a mechanism whereby we occasionally just record an episode on its own, just the two of us without a main segment, and we can kind of get it all out of the system. Yeah, look, I think uh, for me, this podcast more than anything else is is therapy. <laughs> and so uh, I do need to have some space to debrief with you okay. over all these various pet hates and peeves. So hopefully we can get some off my chest. Welcome, Frank. This is a safe space. Uh, Lie down, (laughs) relax. Uh, We're going back into your childhood today. (laughs) Uh, I have got a loose list of things to cover in this hostful. Uh, I've got a bit of journal club news. I've got some letters and feedback. I've got a thing that I'm calling what you up to. (laughs) Um, And I've, I've got Andrew's Super Bowl story if we need it. And then, of course, the main task for this episode, Frank, is to test out all those um, interview questions that people have sent in to us so we can decide upon a good set to use when we interview people uh, in the future on the podcast. Sound like a plan? Well, it sounds good. Let's get into it. No, yeah, let's get into it. So I'm going to start with some a few questions and we'll kind of intersperse them throughout the episode. So the first questions are kind of like radiology reporting questions. So I'll throw this first one to you. All right. Do you listen to music while you report? Uh, Historically, yes. In fact, I was one, I brought music to our department. We didn't really have anyone playing music, largely because they were communal reporting rooms historically, like pretty large. So it'd be pretty rude for one person to bring their boombox. But when we moved over to more subspecialty or modality specific reporting rooms, I started bringing a little speaker and using music. And I did that for years. And it was really good with trainees because one of the first things I'd say is, you know, recommend an album that we should listen to. Yeah. Not a playlist, not a genre. I want an album and you will be judged based on this. (laughs) And uh, it was a really good way of sort of getting to know people. Nice icebreaker, ice house icebreaker. One, uh, One registrar said, oh, anything by Nickelback. And it's like, well, you're out. <laughs> You're no no longer rostered with Frank Gaylard, it seems. What about you? Do you still listen? I've got a few recommendations. We I often put on a guy called Jimmy Sachs. He's uh, on YouTube. Just awesome Sachs. Look it up. Um, we do a thing in the neuroradiology reporting room called Disney Fridays, uh, where we just put on Disney songs. And you'd be surprised, Frank, how many people love Disney songs. Oh, I could belt out Frozen for sure. They're people you wouldn't expect. They come into the room and they are just, they are instantly in. So that's one thing we do. Not music, but another thing that I I did recently is 
these truck simulators. Have you ever seen those on YouTube? Like the truck driving simulators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so some guy driving a truck simulator across America and I just you just put it on in the background and there's something soothing about some guy <laughs> driving around on a truck, just hearing the engine brakes every now and then. Is that like ASMR? I think it is. Maybe you should get some rustling paper or someone lip smacking in your ear. Give it a try and, and report back to me, okay? Truck simulator on, on in the background as you report. All right, question number two. How frequently do you look up online resources while you report? This one came from Shayla on Instagram. I mean, I do this a fair bit, but I also do it a lot where I don't really need to, but I want to show my trainees that you should. And a typical example would be that the history contains an acronym or a condition that they don't know. I'll say, well, what what, what does CADASL stand for or MELAS or some mm-hmm. word? And if they don't know, it's like, well, you know, you should look this up before you report it because how can you possibly report a study if you don't know what a medication is or what surgery they've had, et cetera? But personally, I, I do look things up. I think I probably look up journals more frequently. It's mostly about finding very specific answers. Uh, so yeah. probably a couple of times a session, yeah. Yeah, I would look up multiple things a day. And in fact, they're, they're the cases that I enjoy the most because that means that there's something I can potentially learn from it Yeah, um, absolutely. when I'm looking it up. So actually, that's one of the parts of my day that I enjoy is actually going, oh, I actually need to look that up and find out a little bit more about that. Or I wonder if there is such a thing. There was one the other day where I had a frameter Munro stenosis and I was like, hmm, I've never really seen that before, but I wonder if you can get some kind of developmental stenosis there. If we're going to talk about foramen of Monroe, are you a one foramen of Monroe or two foramen? No, no, there are two. Because it's actually a bit controversial whether there's one or two, because in some places it's described as a Y-shaped foramen. There's lots of trivia about Monroe. Do you know who, who it's named after? Dr. Marvin Munro from The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. No, it's it's Alexander. I think this is from memory, but it's Alexander Munro the third, who was the chair of anatomy at Edinburgh University. I want to say, and his father was Alexander Munro the second, who was also chair of anatomy at Edinburgh, and his grandfather was Alexander Munro the first. Also, well, chair, let me that, guess, let me guess. Yes, chair of anatomy. Oh, anatomy at Edinburgh. I think in Edinburgh. But anyway, Alexander Munro was chair of this anatomy department for three generations. From memory, the, the grandfather and the grandson are the two famous ones, and the father was a bit of a, of a no-hoper. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. Do you use a checklist while you report? This one is from Philip Starzik on Instagram. No, I don't but I used to. So I remember when I was doing one of my fellowships, we did a lot of CTA, Nick and Circle of Willis. And I'd have to look through them and then do a readout session with the attending later on. And you'd have, you know, 20 to go through. And there's no way you can just remember which one's which and which one has Mm -hmm. what. And you had to do this before you reported it because you still had to put them on tape. So you'd review them first and then dictate into a dictaphone and then send the tape to the secretaries to transcribe a week later. It was. Uh, but so I actually printed off a like a worksheet for CTA cows and it was just something I went through and just ticked boxes and then I had my pile to review and I'd know which one was which. And that process of really understanding 
what you want to look for and having it in the same order, I think is really helpful. I think as you get older, you don't use that as much or it becomes ingrained so that you don't need to resort to it. I can't imagine you use actual checklists anymore, do you? No, I don't use checklists, but I have found that in recent years, just to maintain focus, maybe to reduce cognitive load, that I do follow a set pattern in my yeah, head when absolutely. I'm reviewing a scan. I'm often very free flow at the start, so I'm just looking to what, what catches my eye. But then before I sign off a report, before I'm I'm officially finished, I will go through in a systematic order all of these kind of check areas and things that I have in my head. It's also really helpful from a distraction point of view or interruption point of view, because if you have a specific order, when you get interrupted, you know where you're at and you don't need to start again. You can um, pick up where you left off. When I worked in private in musculoskeletal, that was really important. When you had a systematic approach to an MR knee or a shoulder, you keep going through, you get interrupted, have to go off and do an injection on somebody, and then you come back and you know exactly where you're up to in your process. Uh, Next question. You submitted this one, Frank. Hmm. You said here, are you a splitter or a lumper? Now, I must say, when I first looked at this question, I thought you were meaning like, are you a scruncher or a folder with toilet paper? I thought that has nothing to do with radiology. (laughs) An interesting question, but one that I'm not going to answer. (laughs) What does it mean? It's more about how you conceive of conditions or knowledge. Are you the kind of person that likes to group things together in one big lump scrunch them isn't very interested in um you know subcategory 2a of a particular condition mm-hmm. or are you someone that really likes that minutia of separating everything into subtypes folding it up delicately <laughs> and um it doesn't fit all circumstances but i think some subspecialties are more splitters like msk from when i did a beta's training it's like every different tear and bursal thing always has multiple classification systems and they always seemed unnecessary. So I think I'm probably more in the lumping category. Mm-hmm. You, would you consider yourself a lumper or a splitter? Definitely a lumper. You don't get enjoyment in finding the difference between 3A and 3B? Of no, I get enjoyment in the opposite. I get enjoyment in finding the similarities between things and being able yeah. to clump that knowledge together so that I can go, all right, I think of these two things in a similar way. And then that helps me you know, cement my knowledge on it. Whereas if I'm splitting it down to finer and finer detail, no, I find that way too difficult to learn. All right, that's our first sort of four questions there, Frank. Now, we've got to analyze these and work out which ones we might want to use in the future. I think the music question in the reporting rooms is just a good one to ask no, people in the future. Good. We should get recommendations as well. Then we could have a reading room playlist. Oh, on Spotify. We should do that, right? Absolutely. It's just going to be Jimmy Sachs <laughs> <laughs> and, trucks. and trucking and trucking songs. Um, let's move on to one of my little segments here, my journal club news. I don't think we're going to do journal club that often on the podcast, but there were two really big stroke trials that came out in the New England Journal of Medicine this week looking at endovascular thrombectomy in large ischemic core strokes. And I thought yep. it's probably worth mentioning those because they're, they're really kind of practice-changing trials. Um, so one of them is called SELECT2 and the other one's called ANGEL ASPECTS. And they both showed better outcomes for thrombectomy versus medical management um, in study populations of patients with you know, large vessel occlusions within the first 24 hours of onset or last seen well, and with ASPECT scores in the range of three to five. Um, normally, you know, 
anything less than six and you're thinking uh, wouldn't be a candidate for thrombectomy, but they've got this range three to five or CT perfusion showing core volumes of at least 50 mils in the SELECT2 trial or 70 to 100 mils in the ANGEL ASPECTS trial. So big, you know, relatively big established infarct cores on perfusion imaging and they're going on performing thrombectomy and then the analysis is that um, the outcomes are better. Well, I mean, not only big, but late as well, because really it was within six hours was where it was uncontroversial. And uh, that's pretty, I mean, depending where you live and the sort of access you have to medical care and and clot retrieval, six hours can be really challenging to achieve. This doesn't mean that you can slow it down. It's still, you know, every minute is, is precious. But to know that there's a benefit outside of that window, I think is really important. Yeah. I actually have um, uh, slides that I use in my one of my uh, CT brain talks. And I have a, in 2015 is when the initial clot retrieval trials came out, the Extend IA and the Mr. Clean trial. Yeah. And that was yeah showing benefit within that first six hours. And that year, 2015 is when uh, Bruno Mars won a Grammy for Uptown Funk. So I have Bruno Mars on the slide. And then in 2018 is when the Dawn trial and the Diffuse 3 trial and a few others came out. And that was really pushing it out to 24 hours, as long as there was CT perfusion showing very small core. And again, Bruno Mars won a Grammy in that year for 24 Carat Magic. Um, so now I'm thinking... He's got to be back. He hasn't won a Grammy this year. The Grammys have come and gone, you know. I'm thinking I might have to... Uh, to change it to Harry Styles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually going to a Harry Styles concert next week, so I'll feed, I'll feed back. You've got some uh, underwear to throw at him on stage? I'm not sure I'll be that close. The, the security guards will be pulling me back, I would imagine. <laughs> I noticed that a few of the names on the Select 2 trial that we actually recognise the authors, Frank. Yeah, so there's uh, Royal Melbourne has a really big stroke uh, presence and both in the 2015 uh, Nedgem publications, uh, Peter Mitchell, who we've who we've done a course with and who's actually speaking at our upcoming conference again, was one of the co-primary authors in one of those trials. And in this one, there's a whole bunch of people that are either still at Royal Melbourne or trained at Royal Melbourne. Yeah, so Nathan Manning is on is one of the authors and he he trained at yep. the same time as me, sat the exams at the same time. So I'm thinking I've planned a lot of episodes going forward, but you seem to have planned absolutely none. So I'm <laughs> I'm gonna set you the challenge of can you approach Nathan and see if you can get him on the podcast and we can do a whole episode, you know, going through uh, thrombectomy for stroke and what's the current state of play. Leave it with me. I'll do my Uh, best. That's your homework for the week. All right, let's move back to some questions. That was was the journal club. That was a bit of fun, wasn't it? You should get a jingle for journal club. I feel like we're going to have too many jingles if we start down that rabbit hole. (laughs) Every little (laughs) segment's going to have its own. All right, so the next set of questions, I've clustered these as like radiology favourites. So what is your favourite imaging study to report? Or if it's easier, Frank, what is your least favourite imaging study to report? Uh, They're kind of almost the same. My least favourite would be like an NF2 brain and whole spine follow-up with lots of tumours. And my favourite one would be an NF2 follow-up brain and whole spine that has been cancelled due to claustrophobia. And so there's one sequence of moving images. Oh, yeah. I do enjoy those ones. Where oh, you've they're got, great. You've, you've got it and there's nothing. You just say, unfortunately, the patient moved in the scanner. Images of non-diagnostic quality and then you're out. But it's also because you've clicked on it and you've had this moment of sinking. Oh, God, yeah, what yeah. am I in for? Yeah. They're definitely my favourite. 
I've got to say that my least favorite is very easy, and that is thyroid ultrasounds with nodules yeah. and TIRADS classifications. They are they are the worst. All right, next one. Have you got a favorite anatomical variant? This is from uh, Stromberg Jorgen on Instagram. Or if you prefer, what is your favorite anatomy word? I've got one for this, actually, an anatomy word. Do you want me to do that first? Yeah, you go. Well, actually, for anatomical variant, I don't think you can go past the three-word combination of hyperostosis frontalis interna. I usually ignore it and don't put in my reports, but it is... It is a lovely combination of three words, isn't it? It's it's a wonderful way of really making some people very stressed about something that is completely normal because it sounds awful. Like it sounds like the kind of thing that you come home in tears. Yeah, yeah. My mum's got hyperostosis frontalis <laughs> interna. From an anatomy point of view, the word homunculus I like because it mm. means little man. But following on from that, I like flocculus. Do you know what flocculus means? Well, I, I know where it is, but I don't know what it means. Yeah, yeah. In Latin, it means a little fluffy tuft, like a little oh. tuft of wool. <laughs> That's perfect. How cool is that? So sometimes when my, my son wakes up, he's got a little bit of hair that sticks up at the back. I think I, I like to call it his, his little flocculus. Yeah. <laughs> Ali, your flocculus is showing. <laughs> oh, the poor children of medical people, the things they have to suffer through. Uh, how about this one? Favorite radiology word or phrase? Have you got one of those? I've got a phrase that I really enjoy using i don't get to use it very often i've got one that i dislike <laughs> oh yeah okay well, i'll do mine first then you can do your dislike so the one that i like using comes from uh one of my colleagues will mclaurin instead of saying plus or minus you can't really say you know the the diagnosis is this plus or minus this he likes to use the term alone or in combination with so oh. he'll say like the imaging features are in keeping with diffuse axonal injury alone or in combination with hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy. Oh, I like that. I think I'd use it that. It sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah. What about you? What uh, Which one do you dislike? Redemonstrated. Oh, yeah. I don't know why. It just rubs me up the wrong way, redemonstrated. I don't see it used very often. But I see it on Twitter used in people in North America and other places in the yeah, world. Yeah, I don't think it's much in, in Australia. I've had a couple of overseas fellows come and, and try and use it. And that leads us to obviously talk about the word enlocated, which is used oh, only in yes, Australia to describe a joint that is not dislocated. But it's a great word because it's, uh, it's hard to say it otherwise. Yeah. The glenohumeral yeah. joint is enlocated. Yeah. Beautiful. I suspect if we're doing this with other people from around the world, radiology words and different terms used around the world is probably rich a rich thing to tap. So maybe I we will so. keep questions like that in the future. A final one in this little section here, what occupation other than your own would you like to try? Being uh, unemployed, a man of yeah. leisure. Like that would be good. Someone who calls themselves, I don't know, an, an unpublished author in Queensland yep. somewhere. A podcast is pretty close to that. It's pretty close. I'd like to write a book, I think. <laughs> oh, we'll hold on to that thought because we'll come back to that with a question later on, the book idea. Oh, okay. What about you? One occupation, I've, it's not really an occupation, but one thing I've thought about is if I quit radiology altogether, I like this idea, I'm not sure whether, I've, I think I've came up with it myself, is spending one year doing one thing and then the next year something totally different and just keep doing that. So just like one thing a year and creative kind of endeavors. So like, you know, one year would be writing a book, one year would be designing a board game, one year would be whatever, you know, um, to just a different creative task each year. And then people could just follow along and go, all right, this year, Andrew's challenge is to 
create a children's book or whatever. I just think I like the idea because I enjoy creative processes, but also the process of giving birth to something and then moving on and doing something else. Cause you know, this podcast is one of those, maybe it'll, maybe we'll move on. Uh, being able to let go of things and finishing things is, is underrated. I find that, you know, as you get older, you just end up accruing more and more projects and yeah. uh, you, you don't tie things off and, and let them go as often as you should. And uh, maybe forcing yourself to do it just for a year would be a really good thing, but you can't yeah. get that much done in a year really. Oh, it would be a bit of a challenge, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, and I think that, w- that would be uh, that would be an interesting part of it is the actual time pressure of trying to produce something, get it out. I like the idea of a board game. We should uh, – we sh- I don't know if I thought of you as a board game author enthusiast. I, we, we could do a radiology, radiopedia board game. We could do that. I saw one on Twitter and it's an emergency medicine board game talking about bed block and you have to move the patients around and it actually oh. does – help people in real life scenarios to manage an emergency yep. department. So we should think laterally about something we can do with radiology. Um, time for a new segment. This one is letters and feedback. Oh, excellent. We've got some feedback, do we? Do you want to just improv the jingle for this one? Uh, no. It's letters, it's <laughs> letters, it's time. Okay, all right. So it turns out, um, turns out, Frank, that the very first email we ever received to podcast yep. at radiopedia.org was was from a large radiology technology company. I'm talking like a billion dollar market right. capitalization, and they were wanting to have their company president on the podcast. <laughs> I was thinking they wanted to sort of buy us out, and we could now go off and design board games for the next year. Yeah, well, in fact, like almost every email we received in the first few weeks were all sponsorship related. Huh which I, I don't know what to think of that. It's weirdly flattering, isn't it? But no no plans for a sponsor at this stage. But there was this one, and I think I forwarded the email to you, Frank, because I thought it was right up your alley for a, for a game called the Callisto Protocol. Do you remember oh, that? Uh, I've, seen, uh, I've seen some work in progress. Uh, yeah, yeah. They, so they wanted us to try and oh, I'd love that. do an ad integration for the Callisto Protocol. I'll tell you what it is. It's a single player and story-driven survival horror game set in a prison colony on Jupiter's moon, Callisto, available on Xbox, PlayStation, all those it kind of places. It looks pretty, uh, pretty gory. One of the big things that they've done, which sounds like you know their marketing as uh, being new, is the dismemberment real sort of dismemberment so that when you oh really when you use a chainsaw on someone you cut through the arm it, at the point where your chainsaw is hitting them and there's bones mm. and muscles and tendons oh gosh so instead of truck simulator you could have 24 hours of frank playing callisto <laughs> protocol in the background and imagine that with like a haptic suit on or something that would be terrible mm. <laughs> <laughs> i think now that we've mentioned it on the podcast maybe they could send you a free copy of the game yeah, this is this is reverse sponsorship. I'll reply to them and I'll go, here you go. We mentioned it, episode five. Please send a copy of the game. Don't forget to ask for a, a PlayStation 5 to go with it because I don't okay. think it'll play on my old uh, console. We'll see. I'll see how we go. Uh, a few reviews on Podcast Addict. This one is from Rain Dog. Uh, five stars. All these are five stars, by the way. Great balance between radiology education and humor. Five stars from Starflip on Podcast Addict. Radiopedia has started a podcast. If I'm to judge the quality of future episodes based on their lectures on the website, we are in for a quality listen on our way to work and in our reading rooms. Looking forward to more. Um, And then a few emails, one from a radiologist in the UK. I think we've kind of struck a chord, particularly with private 
radiologists, Frank, which is good. That's kind of the audience that I was pitching at this at. I really didn't want this to be a board review type podcast where we go through topics and try and teach people for exams. I think this is more for, you know, more of a career thing in radiology, just something to listen to that kind of keeps you engaged in the specialty. Yep. No, I think that's the way I'm thinking about it too. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Miranda from the UK, uh, she's just nice to hear the lecture sessions that I didn't listen to and in a completely different context. My ears are more listen-y, listen-y somehow when it's a podcast and I like the chat too, the moments of humble appreciation that not everyone is an HRCT expert. So she loves to listen while she runs and cooks dinner and dreams of retiring. <laughs> <laughs> Another one here from Ben in New South Wales could honestly listen to a whole podcast of Andrew catering to Frank's diatribes regarding the world whilst philosophizing about his weekly dilemmas. I'm not sure many people would agree with Ben. Yeah, so Ben, uh, this episode might be your wish. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's continue on with some questions. So if you do have feedback, feel free to send it to podcast at radiopedia.org or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, some more questions, Frank. All right. These ones uh, I've clustered as kind of random anecdote opportunity. <laughs> so we're getting more obscure. We're leaving this leaving radiology behind now. Okay. So the first one I've got here, this is one that I uh, hear on a podcast that I used to listen to. They used this question. And it's name the time you laughed the hardest. Um, and it doesn't need to be funny. Often it's actually a time where it was like inappropriate to laugh, but you couldn't stop laughing like at a funeral Mm. or something like that i've got one have you got one or do you want me to go Mm, you go first my like and this is terrible okay this is i should not have been laughing um this is way back you know 20 years ago in medical school pediatric oncology right so myself and two other medical students were sitting in on a consult with a pediatric oncologist mother of a patient and the patient right and we're sitting in this um, interview room and before the patient and the doctor come in, we hear this noise from the adjacent room and it sounds like someone has the most violent diarrhea you've ever heard, like unbelievable, <laughs> right? And so we just we just heard it, we, 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 we commented on it, right? Then uh, oncologist comes in, patient comes in and we're sitting there, okay? Halfway through the interview, <laughs> five minutes later and the noise is back again and we just that that moment where you're trying you're trying not to laugh you know it's so inappropriate to laugh and you just cannot help it we it was it was both the worst moment of my life and also just a completely memorable one i'll never forget and every time that question comes up on this podcast that i listen to i'm reminded of that situation yeah that's uh, that i think all of us probably have medical student or medical school anecdotes. My one was quite similar. It was when I was a resident in the emergency department and a young person, again, completely awful, had tried to commit suicide by lying across tram tracks. Uh, we have lots of trams here in Melbourne. And the tram had kind of stopped just in time but had lacerated their neck a bit and had mostly amputated their toes And they'd been stuck under the tram for ages and it was winter. So they came in and they were really hypothermic and were shivering and they were put on on the table and everyone was, you know, busy saving their life. And as they were shaking with a a cold rigor, one of their partially amputated toes fell off and I stepped on it as I was walking past. 
And I think it's just, it's what is it? It's a defense mechanism, right? Because it's such a God-awful situation to be in, not just because of the accident, but everything that must have led up to that person trying to do this. And you're a, what, 21, 22-year-old, something mm. like that, and you're in this crazy situation and you're stepping on someone else's amputated toe. So I had, had to leave there. For disclosure, both of us don't laugh at other people's misery all the time. Absolutely not. But the, these are uncommon events. But that, I mean, that's that's the idea of the question is to try and, yeah. you know, think about these these situations. All right, you've got one here. Can you uh, share a memorable moment of public humiliation you've experienced? Have you got one? No, I was uh, I was really asking that for you. Oh, you want to know me? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, I can't think of anything other than, um, you know, when I walk into uh, the reporting room at work now and someone goes, welcome to the Radiopedia reading room. <laughs> <laughs> now that, that is a public shaming. Now I've got here uh, Andrew's Super Bowl story. Have we got time for that, Frank, or should we move on? Oh, we've definitely got time. Okay, so my Super Bowl story. So my cousin, same age as me, I think a year younger, he's 40. And uh, he grew up in Melbourne, but now he's uh, in advertising in San Francisco, works on Super Bowl commercials. That's all he does for the whole year, work on one Super Bowl ad. He did the Doritos ad this year, had Elton John in it. So earlier this week, the Super Bowl's on, and he is at home in San Francisco with his, with his kids, working out what to have for dinner. And then he gets a call. You know, there's a spare seat at the Super Bowl tonight. Can you get there? So he gets on a plane to Arizona gets to his seat just as the national anthem is playing. They're doing some warm-up kicks through the through the goalposts, the field goals, and they put this big net up in front of the field goal and so the ball doesn't come. But he's actually positioned right behind the field goal. Anyway, game happens, Eagles versus Chiefs. We know exactly who though, those teams are, don't we, Frank? The Eagles yep. and the Chiefs. We follow yep, it very absolutely. intently. Anyway, so the, the it's, it's 35 all, only a few seconds left, right? And the Chiefs need to take a field goal to win the match, right? He's positioned behind the field goal. The net's up so the ball can't make it through. So he's filming it on his phone and he's filming it and then he notices the ball come over the net, which is very rare, but the ball comes over the net. He drops his phone down and he marks the game ball <laughs> and he has kept the game ball. That's so amazing. he's used his AFL marking skills to take and he has literally, he's been on the media here in Australia. He's been on all the news things. Yeah, I saw him on TV accidentally. Yeah. So that is my Super Bowl Story. So, if there are any um, Chiefs fans out there who want who want the actual winning game ball that was kicked from the field goal, um, hook me up and I'll see if I can. I imagine it's worth quite a bit. I reckon it, it is worth quite a bit. Yeah, and he's he's not averse to uh, parting with it, so I'm oh. sure I'm sure it will go in the in the not too distant future. Um, did you notice also that the breast radiologist Amy Patel was like the Chiefs NFL fan of the year or something? Oh, I saw no. lots of stuff on Twitter, so that's really awesome to have radiology represented at the NFL. All right, we're going to finish off with uh, some some last few questions here. I've clustered these as random uh, slash philosophy. Okay. Have you got a one-line philosophy or mantra that you live by? You probably don't. N no. Yours is no. probably a thesis rather than My, a one-line. Mine line. is very internally conflicted, complicated, <laughs> mutually contradictory. What about you? 
I don't really have one, but with the uh, truck simulator, ever since I've um, been <laughs> <laughs> had that, my one line that I always tell people in the reporting room is keep on trucking just to keep everyone moving. <laughs> All right, guys, what are we doing now? Keep on trucking. Let's do it. <laughs> um, it really annoys people. <laughs> okay, next one. If you could have any superhero power, what would it be? This is actually one of the questions I ask Junior or people when I first meet them in the reporting room. And particularly, I usually narrow it down to flying or invisibility. Mm. So what, what would you go for? Out of those two? That's because Ooh. everyone knows teleportation is the best one, right? So you can't just say any yeah. skill. because Invisibility sounds a bit creepy because you could you could overlook and overhear so many things. I I think flying would just be cool. I was also thinking that imagine if you had like x-ray vision as a superpower, that would actually be bad. If you're looking at it, if your job is to look at x-rays and you've got x-ray vision. You couldn't see it. You're just looking through the screen. <laughs> you're seeing all the internal workings of the monitor. You'd actually just have to go, oh no, I just need the patient and a very, very empty space. And then I can do my job as a radiologist. So x-ray vision is totally out as a superhero yeah. power. Yeah, no, that'd be terrible. Which one would you select? I mean, they're both actually not as good as they initially sound. And I think the reason they're an interesting question is because, one, you're right, like invisibility, you only end up being evil with yeah. it, creepy or evil uh, or a mixture of both. But it gives you a sense of how someone approaches the question because, like, you need so many clarifications for flying. It's like, what, what do you mean flying? Is this like Superman flying? Do I have normal strength? Do I get cold? How much can I carry? How fast can I fly? Because all of those really make a big difference as to whether it would be useful or not. Yeah, when I think of flying, I just think of, you know, presumably you've had dreams in the past where you've actually flown and just kind of floated around. That's what I kind of think of yeah. when I think of that. I'm yeah. like, that would be cool just to do one-off, even if I only did it once. Yeah, I mean, I think most people choose flying, but uh, occasionally people say invisibility, in which case you start looking at them more suspiciously. But it's one of those questions that you pull out, yeah, maybe in an interview process when you're selecting yeah. candidates. Yeah, so I think those questions can not only act as a bit of an icebreaker, but they give you so much more information about a person because um, they're unrehearsed, they're unexpected, and so people let down their guard a little bit. Uh, plus, it's more fun than, you know, oh, where did you train? I've been reading a book with my daughter recently about women historical figures and all the questions in that book are framed as a would you rather. So would you rather be a superhero who can fly or be a superhero yeah. who is invisible? And it's actually good that kind of structure of forcing that binary choice because it forces my daughter to actually choose one and, and engage with the book. So maybe we should think of a few of those more binary type questions. All right, next one. If you had to write a book tomorrow, what would you write about? Well, if I had to write it tomorrow, it would be a very short book. <laughs> <laughs> I would write a Harry Potter ripoff. I actually oh, okay. tried to write a Harry Potter ripoff. Oh, really? Um, uh, we're going to have to publish this. If you mention it, we've got to publish it. Have you got it? I, it's unfinished. It's unfinished. It's about 30,000 words or something. I spent like oh, a month or good. two doing it. And I haven't reread it. I actually sent it to my kids just last week without rereading it myself because I was a bit embarrassed. Is it set after the final year of Hogwarts? Oh, no, it's it not set? fan fiction. It's like another similar uh, uh, genre. It's right. about a, a boy who whose father gets kidnapped. Called Barry. Into, Barry. Barry yeah, yeah. Trotter. Yeah. Barry Trotter. <laughs> whose uh, father gets, uh, goes missing and everyone thinks he's dead, but actually he's gone into a parallel world and he develops the skill to be able to open a doorway between the pathways and then 
he goes into this magical sort of thing. And it's like Harry Potter. I feel like we've walked into a trap by asking you this question. Because yeah. You- <laughs> Episode seven is Frank reading <laughs> chapter one of Barry Trotter. <laughs> don't, don't tempt me. It's content. <laughs> Okay. All right. Last question here. How would your parents describe what you do? Well, I can tell you what my father's reaction was when I told him that I was quitting neurosurgery training to become a radiologist. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think parents get really invested in in their kids, or at least my father did, in his own very special way. And uh, he'd been telling everyone that his son was going to be a brain surgeon. And so when I told him that actually I wasn't going to do that, he said, so what are you going to do? After he poured himself a drink and and sat down heavily, I said, oh, I'm going to be a radiologist. And he said, so you're going to take x-rays for a living? (laughs) And I said, no, no, that's not there's anything wrong with it, obviously. But I said, that's not what a radiologist does. We interpret, you know, the scans, radiographers or technologists do that. And he looked at me and said, so you're not not even going to take x-rays for a living. <laughs> oh, man. Scarring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's pretty par for the course there. What about you? The only thing I'd say is that my parents just think that I play around and don't do very much. That's their general perception. You're an of influencer. Because my, my brother is a, a head and neck surgeon, does big operations and is always working hard. And then, yeah, they just think, Andrew, oh, he occasionally goes into work and doesn't seem too stressed <laughs> about things. So I think that's the vibe I get from them. Um, all right, we're up to the final segment. This is called What You Up To? <laughs> <laughs> this is just an opportunity for you to tell me what you're up to um, working on for the website, Frank, and what I've been working on. So keep people informed, maybe keep our editors informed of what we're doing. One, obviously, the conference is coming up. So there's a lecture that I'm preparing, I've prepared on search patterns and check areas for MRI brain. And that was really interesting to be doing reading around that because it was the first time I've sort of thought about how exactly I approach studies now compared to when I was a trainee. So that was fun. Yep. And I'm making the companion video for that, yep. the CT brain search strategy and check areas. So I'll have to watch yours first and then see if my approach is a bit different. That's the the advantage of getting in early. (laughs) Yeah, I can't repeat the same stuff you've said. That's right. And uh, then I'm working on the next installment of my magnus opus of uh, brain tumor learning pathways. Sorry, I thought you were going to say your Harry Potter ripoff, but no, no, (laughs) you're... Your next brain tumor learning pathway. That's right, which is a follow-on for the diffuse glioma and it's uh, enhancing supratentorial masses. And it's remarkable how long it takes to do these things. Even though I've done so many now, I'm always surprised by how long it takes. Yeah, but you you do these things differently to other people. It's it's an amazing amount of work that you put in Mm. and that the results show. I'm actually putting together one on toxic and metabolic brain diseases with Francis Deng that will also come out soon. I'm also working on my Radiopedia 2023 lectures. I think I've got four lectures to do and a workshop. So busy working on those and then booking podcast guests as well, Frank. So I think I've got like nine or 10 episodes planned out. Oh, um, really? Wow. With new chats and things. So they'll be starting to come through the pipeline soon. So that'll be good. Anything else to update us on? The website keeps doing the things that the website does. There's always work going on. Yeah, the database got updated the other day and it seems a lot faster. It's much faster, about uh, almost twice as responsive as it was before. So 
milliseconds. A- We're talking milliseconds. <laughs> it is. Um, all right, let's do the outro. How can people get in contact with us, Frank? Well, we're on at Radiopedia on Twitter and on Instagram and as well as at Frank Gaylard and at Dr. Andrew Dixon That's on me. Twitter. Yeah. You can also email us at podcast at radiopedia.org with ideas and feedback. And who knows? You might feature on the podcast. Well, that's right. But at this stage, your feedback is actually super important because it really shapes how we go forward. Absolutely. Uh, and if you want to help support Radiopedia, you can become a paid supporter via the website or, of course, you can purchase an all-access pass to our entire online course and give you new access to Radiopedia 2023. Yeah, and my wife, um, she likes likes getting in on the outro of these um, podcasts. She, she says we need to mention that the all-access pass and the conference are free in 125 low- and middle-income countries. Yes. That is important. That's actually the whole point of doing all of this. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So if you're if you're someone who pays for our courses, pays for uh, a conference, then you're actually supporting us to be able to produce the content and make it available for free in 125 low and middle income regions. So if we can work that into the outro each week, Frank, all right, I'll good. do my best. And and what else can people do? And you can also leave us a preferably. Five star review. No, definitely five star. Definitely five star review. <laughs> yeah, in yeah, the yeah. podcast app of your choosing. Awesome. All right. Well, that well, that was that was the first hostful, Frank. It's all done. Did you enjoy it? That was fun. I got a few things off my chest. Yeah. You're feeling fresh, <laughs> ready to attack the day. All right. Well, I'll sign off now. Oh, actually, my wife was also thinking that instead of <laughs> at, during the sign off, instead of you just saying. Bye bye. After I finish, yeah. What should I do? If you could say, it's like, stay rad. <laughs> <laughs> so you ready? No, all right. No, you, no, no. Yes. Yeah. I'm no. gonna. I'm gonna put it in there, and we'll catch you all again sometime soon in the reading room. Stay rad. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs>